G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Rise and Shine, Rise and shine. with Robbo and Becky on Vision. Robbo, with you, and John Mackay, the creation guy, is with me this morning as well. Now, of course, John, you should be in South Australia at the moment. but I uh, should be, but these COVID borders that shut and open and yeah. ruin your planning and give Qantas, you know, your tickets and yeah. all of that. Ah, It's it's frustrating because, I mean, South Australia was were clear of COVID for so long, mm-hmm. and so you thought, oh, easy, I can book a, yeah, plan a time a down there. Yeah, tour and all of that, you yeah. know, and then, then crash. But you can be positive because God's already gone ahead of us, and he knows what's at the other side. So never forget that if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. as disruptive as it seems to you, just say, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? You're in charge yeah. here. And so we've turned it into positives like more research at Jurassic Ark, catching up on all of our note writing on our experiments on making coal. And it's just turned out to be real positive. Excellent. That is so good. So tell us a bit about some of that. I mean, some of the, the research that you've had a chance to do as a result of yeah. not being on tour. Yeah. Uh, what's okay. some of the well, things you've one done? One of the first things we did was do some more excavation at Jurassic Ark, and we found what looks like a fossil nut or a fossil seed pod. Mm. Confirmed that it's one of those two. In fact, it's looking more and more like a bunya nut. Oh, wow. And part of the inside is preserved, and we've even covered it in clay to make a copy of it, and the thing started making gas. Oh, wow. Right? So there's organic material in there as well, but it doesn't surprise us because yesterday we were excavating a fossil log and it's gone, half of the log has gone to coal, half has gone to stone. So really, really fascinating stuff. Wow. And the Lord has enabled us to do this simply because we couldn't go and do the preaching in South Australia. Yeah. So we're really thrilled there. And writing it all up, all those things that take painful hours that you're really searching for, mm-hmm. we got them for free. Yeah, that's great. It's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, obviously Romans 8 tells us all things work together for good to those who love God. And so here we go. I guess it's looking at... Yeah, rather than the disappointment of like, oh, yeah, the tour has been cancelled. It's like, oh, well, actually, God's turned this around yeah. and he's bringing good out of it. That's so right. That's exactly it's right. It's a wonderful perspective to have. Uh, you can call through with your questions for John Mackay this morning. Uh, we're already getting some uh, calls coming in, so don't miss out. I mean, we always have this flurry at the end. <laughs> Lots of people uh, don't get a chance to get their questions answered. So uh, do call through and be a part of the conversation this morning on 1-800-316-316. John's going to be here for the next uh, couple of hours. Uh, John Mackay, the creation guy, with me this morning. Always encouraging and always fun. Rise and shine on Vision. Robbo with John Mackay, the creation guy, with me this morning. Uh, by the way, there's a video on Facebook you can have a look at. Uh, John brought in some show and tell, uh, some rocks that uh, he was uh, showing off on Facebook this some morning. Stone so you can, tools, actually. That's right, yes, yeah, yeah. stone tools. Uh, so you can have a look at that on Facebook. And uh, it, when you're there, you can ask a question of John uh, via the comments or... You can always call through on 1-800-316-316. That's what Cindy's done. Cindy rang earlier uh, to pose this question for John. Well, last time it was about do all dogs come from the wolf, and Mm -hmm. he said yes, but I'm not sure because do all flies come from one fly because there's millions of mm-hmm. varieties, do all beetles, do all ants, do anything that's in high numbers and, and such lot lot of variety. It just seems impossible to come from one animal. And do is it the same for cats? Do all cats come from the lion? Like, do all big cats come from the lion? 
like leopards, tigers, mm-hmm. do they interbreed? Can they interbreed? Great question from Cindy. That's a good question. How would you respond, John? Okay, just to remind people who don't know much about us, they're fresh in. Yes, I used to teach geology, lecture in geology, dig up rocks and fossils all over the planet, but I deliberately went and took three years of genetics so I could deal with living things, not just dead fossils. (laughs) Now, just to revise a little bit on the dog thing, because most people are more familiar with dogs than ants Mm -hmm. and things like that. So uh, grew up with dogs. Amazing to discover that in the past 400 years, we've invented, you know, seven or 800 new varieties of dogs. And people think, that's not important possible but it is we've got the records of it right and when it comes to the wolves and all the present day dogs you can actually follow their genetics because they've got the same alphabet just rearranged a slight bit and we've messed up many of the last couple of hundred years mm. in trying to breed these varieties yeah. and they've all come from from the the wolf yeah. basically so because i remember last time you talked about it's really degeneration isn't it the yes. way that they breed yes new, our new modern breed. dogs uh, the ones you spend a thousand dollars on you know are probably <laughs> going to last 10 years because they are degenerate versions mm. and the uh, more degeneracies the more versions of course to the point where you kill them so i'm not surprised the pet associations are beginning to ban mm. that sort of breeding uh, when it comes to cats a little bit of history lesson the Egyptians were responsible for breeding the small cats. I mean, who's going to have a lion or a tiger in your temple, right? <laughs> uh, you can have a, a mimic one if you like, and they love their cats. Mm. But that's why when cats go wild, and it's right for the uh, animal care people to be worried about the animals, the, the cats going well, because many of them will revert to the bigger, you know, see a 200-pound tabby up in the gum tree, you know, with a koala in its mm. paws. That sort of thing actually really can happen. So, yes, you'll find the same evidence we've got with cats because we've had an association with cats for a long time. And uh, the records, genetic records, show exactly the same sort of thing as well. A few interesting things like, you know, when you look at your leopards and panthers and things like that, many of those have been isolated for a long time and they're basically single-line breeding. Uh, They haven't had anything to do with other cats for a long time, probably, Mm. probably since not long after Noah's flood. But the genetics is, again, conclusive. Um, when you ask questions about flies, yes, praise the Lord for my professor who was a mad keen evolutionist but a world expert on flies. (laughs) So after I'd finished three years with him, particularly laboratory stuff, I didn't want to see another fly for a long time. I could imagine. You rip out the the, the salivary glands of Drosophila melanogaster and put it under microscopes and ah, had enough of that. (laughs) But in reality, here's what you find. We can take the fruit fly... The, the little one that buzzes around your bananas or your mm-hmm. apple pile in the kitchen, right? And we can actually look at how they breed. We can actually follow the genetic alphabet. Uh, initially, we used to do it by the bands on the chromosome. Now it's a lot more sophisticated with the DNA and things like that. But here's the most amazing thing, because this guy was a world expert on fruit flies, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are probably better things to be world experts on, but it's pretty <laughs> helpful to our farmers to, to know a lot about these things. Okay, so you find out that the ones that breed in California, which is where the studies first began, there's quite a few species of them. But you will find that those species will not interbreed. But they don't interbreed because they are related, but the way they got unrelated is the chromosomes can break and then they will re-stitch each other together but sometimes they stitch each other backwards. Mm. So instead of having alphabet A, B, C, D, E, F, G, they'll break in the middle. Then because they're designed to be unbroken, they will find a place to glue on, but it might come backwards. So A, B, C, F, G, E. 
Mm. Right, and so you'll then say, "Oh, the wings are shorter, and it won't breed. It must have evolved a new species." No, it happens instantly, right? And so you'll find that you can get multiple species with exactly the same genes, even if the genes are in a different order. Okay. So what we've discovered is you can actually do this in hundreds of ways, Cindy. You don't need millions of years. It can happen overnight. Uh, we do this with tobacco plants as well in our breeding programs. You inject a chemical called colchicine in, and instantly. It will turn into a new species that you can't breed backwards. Uh, it won't crossbreed with its ancestor because mm. you've broken the genetic sequence and, and stitched it back together, and it will have a cell wall where it didn't have a cell wall. Oh, yeah. So it now is twice the size tobacco leaves. Yay, says the farmer. Um, but, and you think, oh, it's evolved. No, no, we made it overnight. Yeah, right. um, so you'll find that uh, many of these things that look so different and so many varieties are actually very simple explanations of doubling the chromosome number, reducing the chromosome number, uh, some of the prawns and the ants and, and all the plants that do this over and over again create a false impression of vast amounts of time needed and we know from the laboratory is simply not, not mm. true at all. Now Cindy's actually rung back to add to that question. What did you want to uh, add as a follow-up for John, Cindy? If um, there's only one variety of animal, like the koala, are they line breeding and why don't they have different offspring, different types of koala. And do ostriches and budgies come from the one bird? If you look at the koala, they do line breed, but we do have several varieties. So if you go to the islands off the coast, you will see what are regarded as varieties of the main koala. And, of course, mm -hmm. those ones there are not suffering from the eye disease, which uh, the animals on the mainland largely got from cows. So we're using the island varieties as sort of backup to actually, um, you know, replace the ones that are suffering so badly from our cow court disease. I believe it was the cows that gave it to them. Um, but yes, they are a line breed. And no, we don't have any evidence from fossils or anything else that they have ever been anything but koalas, right? Um, when it comes to the, the emu and the budgie, there is no evidence emus ever had wings like budgies do. Uh, they are members of a rear-type family, like the ostrich and that, are all relatives of each other, even though they're living on separate continents at the moment. But none of them have ever flown. There is no evidence they ever had big wings, no evidence they ever lost wings to turn into the diminutive little one. They were made as runner birds, and they certainly need those wings to balance them when they are running. The budgies, on the other hand, uh, if you look at the whole of the parrot-type group, you find an interesting pattern. In the Middle of East, Middle East, there are almost no varieties of parrots. There are some, but very few. And the further away you get from the Middle East, the greater the number of varieties of the parakeets. There's three major groupings of them, and then they subdivide into, well, hundreds and hundreds until we end up even with our degenerate ground-running parrots in New Zealand that have lost the ability to fly. We end up with some low flyers over here that are also not great flyers. They tend to be ground parrots, uh, but they can still fly a bit. And you also end up with the really good flyers. Um, so we, we've got parakeets that are all in line, three major subgroups of them. But as one guy said to me who was doing his PhD on parrots, he said, you know, John, I can't figure this out. So as he and I sat down, he was trying to use an evolutionary explanation and then I said, well, listen, there's a better explanation. You see, Noah had three pairs plus one of all clean animals, clean, vegetarian. Parrots, by and large, are vegetarian today, except for one in New Zealand that took up eating dead sheep uh, after the settlers arrived because they chopped down all its native food. 
but the rest are vegetarian. And what you find is, I said to him, start out with three pairs in the Middle East, and they're not going to hang around Noah's Ark for very long because they've been there for a year. They're sick of every other animal on the planet. <laughs> They'll take off as far and fast as they can. And being flying creatures, they don't need to worry about seas or rivers. They can just fly anywhere they wish. The further away they get, the more inbred each descendant gets. And inbreeding or degeneration produces variety or species, whether it's human beings who can end up being black or white or indigo pink or whatever, or parakeets that'll be big or small uh, or flying or flightless. Uh, You will find that you end up with exactly that. And he said to me, Wow, that makes a lot more sense than evolution does because it works. You see, that is their real history. Three pairs of parakeets plus one for sacrifice. Seven got on, six got off. And then start from there and you end up with three major groups of your parakeets. Mm. So there is your biblical perspective. So can I encourage you, always try and put on God's glasses and see things his way. Uh, If you try it the other way, you'll end up with puzzle after puzzle and never solve it. Well, I can understand the uh, variety in the parrots now that you say the ostrich couldn't fly, so it Mm -hmm. couldn't interbreed very much. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the uh, parrots, you know, constantly breed, so there's your genetic diversity. I can see that now. Good on you, Cindy. Great. Thanks good on you. Thanks so much for the call, Cindy. Okay, bye. Well, thanks so much to, to Cindy for the question and a great response again from John, as always. Uh, you can call through whatever the uh, the topic. You can uh, call through and ask John a question this morning. John Mackay, the creation guy, with me in the studio on Rise and Shine. 1-800-316-316 is the number. Across Australia, this is Rise and Shine. With Robbo and friends. On Vision. John Mackay, the creation guy, is with me. Uh, this morning, and uh, taking your calls on one 316 Tim's called through with a question for John. What's your question, Tim? Yeah, I had this question the other day. It's like, why, why should I be judged for all eternity for my sins when I didn't choose to be here in the first place? Oh, that's a good question. How would you respond to that, John? Okay, there's two parts here. One's a valid part and the other's an invalid part. So when you look at, say, the judgment, the bits that are revealed to us in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Revelation where it says the, un, you know, the unsaved are judged on the basis of their works that are all written down. So warning number one is everybody, whatever we say, whatever we do, God has a record of it. As if you're worried about Big Brother spying at you through your TV set or through your iPhone or whatever, forget about it. You should be more worried about Big Father, who's already got <laughs> the goods on you with everything. But what you discover is there's two sorts of judgment. So go to Corinthians, look up the word judgment, and read about the judgment there that's coming. There's two judgments. One is a judgment on everybody for sin. What do I mean by that? Adam sinned, and sin brought death. Now, we already suffer a partial judgment on that, and you're right for that one. We didn't choose to actually come into this planet where sin and death were already in existence. But then there's a second judgment. It's, it's both for Christians and non-Christians. We are judged on the basis of our works. Are you Christians who are not doing anything listening out there? You see, the first one, if you're saved, then you'll find that Jesus actually took the judgment for sin upon himself. So he took your judgment. He died in your place. That's what his shed blood and his death on the cross is all about. He was taking Adam's judgment. That's why the New Testament calls him the last Adam. But you are now born on this earth. And come on, let's be honest. From the day you tell mum, no, right, you are <laughs> making choices that you will be held accountable for. 
right? So all of those sort of sins, did you catch the difference? Sin is what we inherit from Adam. Sins is what you choose to do with your life on this planet. And they are the sins that you'll be judged for according to your works. Now, when it comes to you on this planet, uh, Adolf Hitler, probably you know a million times worse than Billy Bloggs. Billy Bloggs just chose to spit in Jesus' face and get on and do his own thing. Adolf Hitler chose to murder millions and millions. Now, the works that they did are vastly different in scale. The judgment for sin is the same. They rejected Christ. But the judgment for their sins will be incredibly different. So there is a judgment of sins that will vary in quantity. The other one, if you're a Christian, put it in the positive. What did you do for Jesus or what didn't you do? Because read Corinthians on rewards. You see, Christians are rewarded in heaven, and if you didn't do anything, then all your works are burned up, and you sort of scrape through by the skin of your teeth. You're there because Jesus died for you, not mm. because of any good you did. right? But if you then went on like Paul and said, well, I've got to run the race, I've got to, I've got to get out and reach these Gentiles, and the Lord gives you a star in your crown, right? a jewel in your crown, and the more jewels, the better off. There are rewards, and let's never forget it. It's not, a, not an easy-peasy, uh, everybody gets the same thing in heaven. There's judgment. In hell, there's rewards. So you've got to keep those two things in mind. Yes, Adam sinned, but you can't say, oh, it's not my fault, because Jesus said, I'm taking the penalty for you. Now what's your excuse? Right, mm. and so that we've got to keep all of those things in mind. Hope that helps. Yeah, great response. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for that call, Tim. That's a really good question. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Have Bye. a good day, mate. Hi, Melita. How are you? I'm um, good, thank you. That's good. What's your question for John? Um, I've got a theological question. I'm just wondering about um, you know when people say, "Oh, these this huge rock or these." Uh, canyons like the Grand Canyon are 300 million years old. Mm-hmm. I just want to know, how do they get those numbers and how does that um, fit into the Bible theory? Okay. Um, a short answer for a very big question uh, and the rest I'd recommend you go to creationresearch.net, click on Q&A or click on Fact File and insert words like Grand Canyon or Erosion or Age of Earth, right, because there's a lot involved in this. Um, two okay. things. You and I are normally taught that you get a hole in the ground because a river runs through there and carves out a valley. Now, Mm. I've climbed the Grand Canyon in and out many times. The one thing you notice about the Grand Canyon is that the river is not actually carving it out. It's filling it in, particularly at the bottom end. So you will therefore begin to discover that at the top end of the Grand Canyon, there's evidence there was a huge reservoir of water mostly ice melt and things like that, it would seem after uh, you know the ice that's mentioned in the book of Job, the wall has melted, cracked, and taken off, and you have very rapid erosion because there's two things that are very evident in this planet. Water erodes really well, right? So, but you need a lot of it. If it's going slowly, it will fill things in. It does not continue yeah. to erode when it's going very slowly. So the Grand Canyon is evidence of rapid erosion on a big scale. What most people confuse is the size of the hole versus the layers that are in it. Now, if you go under the Grand Canyon, you will find that, hey, there's some granite down here at the bottom, there's um, nice metamorphic rocks, and then when you begin to map that out, you find that that layer actually shows up, because I've personally visited both ends of it. You will see one end of it over in the mountains of Tennessee on the east side, same rocks, And the hole that the Grand Canyon is in, if you can get this mentally, 
there's a bigger hole underneath it and it goes from the east Tennessee mountains all the way west over there pushing onto the edge of California. You'll see it showing up over there and the rest is filled in with all those layers. So there was a big hole there first which required an unbelievably big amount of water and then it's filled in uh, with a lot of water and mud that was flowing sideways. So as my old yep. professor of geology said, and when he really threw me for six because I believed in all these millions of years and that, he said, I hate to tell you this, students, but the rocks in the Grand Canyon get old sideways. But then if you think about it, rocks can only rocks of mud and sand can only grow sideways because water moves sideways. Mm. So therefore, mm-hmm. he was quite right. I've actually mapped the Grand Canyon, measured it, collected specimens all the way through up there, uh, documented what we found, put it on our DVDs like Darwin on the rocks or whatever, and you will find that he's absolutely right. So the layers were washed in. And then afterwards, there's another event, largely probably due to that collapse of the big lake at the north, that's taken off and chewed the Grand Canyon hole out so you can see the layers, right? Both of which are rapid processes, not slow processes. The ordinary person is fooled by, well, there's no lots of big erosion occurring now, only little erosion, so therefore the Grand Canyon must have taken millions of years. Their assumption Mm. is... Whatever's happening now has always been the key. And the Bible says, hey, wrong, guys. I made the world covered with water. There's always been enough water to flood the earth. It started that way. Mm. Then I lifted up the dry land. There would have been massive erosion, but no fossils, no animals to bury because there wasn't any plants and animals till the next day. Then I flooded it again uh, in Noah's day. Then I lifted up the mountains again. And then the water is beginning to run off the earth, and and then there's ice in Job's day, and ice melt, and things like that. So you need a biblical perspective. So again, I've given you a really short version of something that took me sort of 25 years to even research. <laughs> so go to creationresearch.net, click on Q and A, or click on the fact file. Insert words like Grand Canyon, erosion, flood. Um, those sort of words, and you'll get a, a lot more on that. And have a look at some of our MP4s on, say, Darwin on the rocks. Um, you'll find those very, very helpful. Or Time's Up Darwin, they're very, really useful. Excellent. Great response. Great. Thanks Thank so much for the call, Malita. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You can call through with your questions as well on 1-800-316-316 for John Mackay, the creation guy. Across Australia, this is Rise and Shine with Robbo and Friends on Vision. John Mackay, the creation guy, is with me this morning. Answering your questions, you can call through on 1-800-316-316. If you look on Facebook, you can see John uh, there this morning uh, showing off some stone uh, weapons and you know um, implements, tools that uh, you've brought in with you, a bit of show and tell. Uh, but you've got some resources that you we can uh, that do. go along with One that. One that's not long out here, and so you'll have to go to creationresearch.net and click on the shop. It's called the Stone Age. It's by our resident Stone Ager, uh, John <laughs> Osgood, right? It's a, a, a thin book, but it's a really good look at the real history of technology, mm. starting from man made in God's image and the clever things we could do, and sadly, the degenerate loss over and over again. So that's the Stone Age. Uh, by John Osgood. Look at it on creationresearch.net. And here from Vision, just to remind you that Vision uh, uh, has quite a few of our books in their shop, so support them in any way you can. Brand new edition of Walking with Jesus uh, through Genesis. Um, we, we sold out of the first edition, so it's really great to produce a new one. And it comes with a Dreamer app, so you can get videos of me giving oh, Bible studies great. in it as well. That's a great app. Yeah, it's a really great app. Um, Tights, Mites and Fossifites, if you've been excited by some of the things we've shared about Jurassic Ark and digging up the fossils, 
than all the evidence up there that it's a young world after all. God made the world in just six days. See it in pictures. Yes, I love pictures rather than lots of words. So <laughs> that's tights, mites and fossil fights. Walking with Jesus in Genesis, you should be able to get them from the vision shop. Yeah, that's right. You can get a uh, visionstore.org.au to get those. And the Stone Age uh, book from John Osgood available through your store. Yeah. Uh, creationresearch.net is the place to go. And, of course, not just the the store that you've got, but an incredible mm-hmm. array of uh, Q&A yep, available right. there at uh, creationresearch.net as well. Heaps and heaps of uh, great answers uh, to some of the tough questions about creation and evolution. So check that out, creationresearch.net or, uh, of course, the visionstore.org.au for some of those resources from John Mackay, the creation guy. You can call through with your questions today as well on 1-800-316-316. We've got uh, some more questions to come. Uh, the phones are starting to light up with questions, so uh, get in early and don't miss out on the chance to ask John a question this morning. A great way to start your day. Rise and shine with Robbo and Friends on Vision. My good friend John Mackay, the creation guy, is here as well, taking your calls and your questions this morning on 1-800-316-316. Uh, Anne's called through with a question. What's your question for John? My question is um, for John Mackay. The insects, um, did they survive the flood? And if they did, are they the same ones that are here now on Earth? And uh, how many, uh, so how would that happen now um, in Noah's time? Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess, yeah, the question is, did Noah put two flies on the ark or <laughs> did they just uh, hitch a ride? Why the mosquitoes <laughs> yeah. or the ticks or the fleas, yes. Yeah. Good question. What do you think about that, John? Okay, basically, when you look at the, the last part, of which is the easiest part to deal with because we can talk about fossil records, are the insects today the same as they used to be? The answer is in one sense, yes. In another sense, they are much smaller. Praise God that mosquitoes are no <laughs> longer a third of a metre long, right? You can dig them up. You can dig up dragonflies with a wingspan of a metre. You imagine your sister who's arachnophobe coming across a spider that's half a metre across. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so make a great video for YouTube, like that tarantula one, but much, much bigger. <laughs> so you'll find that, yes, the answer is all the evidence shows we have no new insects on the planet that don't match fossil records. If we've got a fossil record of them, they are living fossils beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, so when it comes to how did they survive, one of the things about insects, particularly as we run Jurassic Arc, that we're really interested in is where do they all live? Where do they all breed? And many of the insects, like the water boatmen, like all of these and mosquitoes and that, lay their eggs in the water. They can live in the water for a long time. Uh, so most of those wouldn't have needed to be on Noah's Ark. Only the ones that have to breed on the land, the ones that have to spend time looking for food on the land, would have actually needed to be with Noah oh. on the Ark. And in the same manner we've talked about the dogs and the flies, you will find that if you have two of each kind, uh, if it's a vegetarian insect, surprisingly, they had six, seven of those, right? Uh, and if they're sort of three times the size they are now, then I guess they had to store up on their internal body foods. But then many insects can hibernate anyway and do so in winter in the cold times. I was amazed when I first went to Nova Scotia because the flies were there abundantly in summertime, but there weren't any flies in winter. I thought, where do they go? Mm. And then I was helping a church repair its old wall cladding and here were all the flies fast asleep in between the cladding oh, and well. the wall. They were hibernating for six months of the year. So well. many of them can do that. They didn't need to necessarily eat on Noah's Ark, go into hibernation. So yeah. the answer is similar to the dog one. 
yes, you can breed all the varieties from the ones we know of would have needed to get on Noah's Ark and the fossil evidence shows no major changes but a big reduction in size for many of them. Mm, interesting. Well, thanks so much for your call, and It's lovely to hear from you, and a great question for John today. Thank you. So many good questions coming in for John this morning. Glenn is next up on the line with a question. What's your question for John, Glenn? Um, what's the genuine, um, general consensus as why men have got nipples? Um, I'll put it this way. Remember your scripture that says God made Adam from the dust of the ground? As some people like yep. to uh, caustically say, it's the reason why little boys like to play in the dirt. They are made from this stuff. <laughs> um, and then God took from Adam's side and he made a woman. And uh, so you now have Adam and Eve. And Eve is not a new creation. She's made from Adam. So as I like to say in a poem I wrote ages ago, when it comes to nipples, if Adam never Adam, then neither would have Eve, right? <laughs> because he has to have every bit of information that's going to be used to make the woman. Now, you and I physically see nipples as a similarity, but take my word for it without us going into any more detail sexually or anything, that you've got everything that she needs, right? Mm. And uh, so you will find that if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't be one flesh. And the way God has done it is unbelievably clever. When you look at the genetics of sex and sexual development of the womb, it is you just got to stand back and say, God, you are really, really a genius mm. uh, to do this. So there is, it's not a general consensus. It only starts with people who can see God made one man and we are all made from him, including the first woman and all of the descendants of both the man and the woman. hope that helps. Mm. Again, you'll find that answer on creationresearch.net. That's great. Just, just another just yep. another comment to that. Um, God doesn't. Uh, uh, God always had even in mind, and that's why he was. She was uh, part of Adam, wasn't it? Yes, it's certainly certainly true. You'll find that when you look at the um, picture of Adam and Eve, and then the picture of the church and Christ. Um, Adam and Eve are made to be one flesh, just as we are meant to be one with our 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 bridegroom Jesus. Right. So you'll find that as we are in Him. Uh, we reflect his nature, and that's the way it was meant to be with Adam and Eve. They are meant to be one flesh from the start, and sadly, sin has torn that apart. So you end up with suicide, divorce, adultery, all of those things. But in the church, when Jesus returns to us, we are remade in his likeness, in his image. Hi, thank you. That's great. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for the call. Bye. You can call through with your questions as well on 1-800-316-316. Just the right mix of things to inspire and things to make you smile. Rise and shine on Vision. John Mackay, the creation guy, is with me and here for another bit over half an hour. John will be here. So if you've got a question for John, jump in now because you need to... Uh, now, don't leave it to the last minute like people often That's do. That's true, John. and make sure you get to creationresearch.net as well. That's right, yes. If you've ever got a question... Uh, you can always jump onto the Q&A site there. It's uh, so just a, a plethora of information available for you there at creationresearch.net. Uh, but for this morning, you can call through and ask John your questions on Rise and Shine. Leon's done that. What's your question for John? The question is, when did this all start? And I'm referring to creation versus evolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when did um, people start to believe in evolution, you mean? Yeah, that's right. When was the switch? In the early days, the students were taught in the buildings which were attached to churches and the monks used to teach. So how did we move away from, well, from the religious side of it, if you will? Okay, let's go back a lot further than that. So you'll find when Paul is addressing the Greeks um, at, at the, the Athenium, you know, right up there, the uh, Acropolis, 
Um, mm-hmm. He reminds them that God has made all men from one man. Now, he had to do that because if you are even modicumly exposed to ancient Greek, you know they already believed in evolution. They believed that mud turned into man, but Jewish mud was far dirtier than Greek mud. They were very racist about mm. it, so don't be surprised about racism going hand in hand with the evolution as well. But then due to the spreading of the gospel, particularly from the collapse of the Roman Empire onwards, uh, actually it had a lot to do with the collapse of the Roman Empire, you find that the biblical history, the real history of the world, became dominant even in academic circles. Even though we knew still the ancient Greek evolutionary stories were in our records, now you come up to the Reformation, a big, big reinstatement of the authority of Scripture, so it became even more reinforced. Nevertheless, still you could read the ancient Greek writings uh, if you were an academic. So by the time Charles Darwin and Charles Lael rise up as antagonists of the faith, and I say that deliberately because Charles Lael, who gave rise to all our dating methods, he's on record as saying, my aim is to get rid of Moses. Charles Darwin, trained theologians, abandons Christianity, ends up counselling his son on how to attack Christianity. His theory of evolution is nothing new. We know that because the headmaster of rugby school in England is on record and saying, why are we so upset? We've been learning this in the ancient Greek myths and legends all along. Uh, And it is. It's there all the time, but it died due to the influence of Christianity. Now, Charles Lyell and Charles Darwin, their impact has been to reduce people's confidence in Scripture so that many church leaders have said, well, this is religion and that's science, and the two started to part ways, and more and more people began to put their trust in science until you now see them saying, well, we don't need to pray about COVID or anything like that. We'll just let the scientists find a solution, mm. and so God is left out of the picture. So it's a up and downsy through history. At the moment, it's on a downsy away from the truth and towards a lie. Let's pray uh, that uh, that God's people will be faithful and get out there and say, listen, you are foolish to think you came from a monkey. There's not even a single monkey on the planet who believes that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Good point. Hey, thanks for the call, Leon. Great to hear from you, mate. Good on you, mate. See ya. Loving the history lesson from John Mackay this morning. You can call through with your questions for John. Or uh, jump onto Facebook. There's a live video there of John showing off some of his uh, stone tools that he's brought with him this morning. And uh, you can ask a question there or make a comment. And made a, a bit of a fun comment there. Uh, she says, I find some evolutionary uh, facts, inverted commas, uh, ludicrous. Once I asked someone, how did the wombat get its backward-facing pouch when other ma- marsupials have the pouch facing outwards or forwards? Uh, the answer that she got was, at one stage, maybe the pouch faced sideways and gradually it turned around. <laughs> so, yeah, well, if you have koalas turning into wombats, you'd really have dropped bears. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, uh, yeah, that's a fun comment there from Anne. She says, even the fact that there is male and female is such an indicator for creation. So, good point. Uh, you can add a comment there at Facebook. Just search Vision Christian Radio and check out the uh, Bit of show and tell that John's done with us this morning. Rise and shine on Australia's Vision Christian Radio. Robbo with you and John Mackay, the creation guy, is here answering your questions. You can call through on 1-800-316-316. Cindy rang uh, about an hour ago with a question for John, but she's rung back with a follow-up question. What's your question for John, Cindy? Been on my mind for a while. Um, the animals with the diversity, you know, different, you know, different breeds. You got your four-legged, your two-legged, your feathered, your fins. How come it's only the birds that can talk, and only some of them? Uh, why can't all of them genetic, 
genetically make a voice box or whatever it is mm. to talk. Why can't, why can't only... And there was a donkey in the Bible that talked only once. That's right, yes. You know? Yeah, Balaam's donkey. Yeah, okay. so why can't, why can't they all just change into talking? All right, now let's define something here that's very necessary. Talking as opposed to mimicking are two different things. So if you listen to the lyre bird... It never talks to us, but it mimics chainsaws and frightens the life out of me when I'm walking through the forest. The chainsaw <laughs> starts up, and it's really just the lyrebird who's a brilliant mimic, right? And he'll mimic, uh, you know, trail bikes and shotguns and all sorts of cameras. Yeah, the whole lot. Yeah, the whirs. That's right. All, all the above, right? And the parrots can mimic our speech, but as far as we can figure out, they have no idea what the sentences are or how to communicate to each other with those sentences. Now, when you look at our ability to talk, uh, let's call it proper speech because it actually, we think it through, we put the words in a right order, we have verbs and nouns and objects and subjects, and we communicate to each other. And if nobody teaches us their language, the linguists tell us we invent our own. Twins are notorious for inventing their own language. Now, dogs do un- dogs do understand. Oh, dogs! No, 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 no ca- guy, listen carefully. Though dogs un- will understand, yeah. but they don't speak. They can communicate. So that my yeah. dog will come and he'll go, ooh, 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 and I know that he wants out. But if he's outside, he's going, ooh, ooh, really short, sharp barks. He's telling us he's found a snake, right? So he can communicate, yeah. but he doesn't speak and say, "I have found a snake." Verb, subject, object, right? doesn't do any of that. So distinguish between speaking as a speech versus communicating with noises. They all can communicate because they have to communicate with each other. Mm. Well, there was a scientist guy on telly a long time ago, and he taught his boy to collie um, which toy and, uh, like, each toy had a name, and he had about a thousand of them, and he'd chuck them all in a really big lounge room, and he'd say, go get the fish and take it to the squirrel yeah, and he'd yeah. do exactly that mm. and out of out of the thousand toys he'd pick the exact one and take mm. it to the exact item and you know he could do it from another room as well mm. and, you know that dog was smart smarter the than the average smart, dog but not once did he teach another two. dog to do that and not once did he say okay i'll go and get it now right so mm, he knew mm. what the instructions meant dogs are smart they figure out solutions themselves but they don't speak even though they communicate and you and I have the ability to speak because we're made in God's image. Mm. Sadly, we it's degraded by sin, so we end up using it uncouthly or foully or in anger when we shouldn't. Um, but in reality, it's a gift that marks us apart from all other creatures on the planet. But could they speak if they were allowed to speak? Do they have a voice box thing no. like we've got? No, you'll find yeah. that they, they, they... Well, let's say the, the chimpanzees, gorillas and all animals have vocal boxes that make noises but yeah. they don't have the brain program that controls it to make speech. Oh, right? the so, pathways in the yeah, brain. The yeah, I've been learning a lot about that yeah, on telly. Yeah, that's right. Mm. The so, connections yeah, and the, the connections. Yeah, neurons and all that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So that's all what right, makes sense now. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Thanks for that. All right, thanks, Cindy. So, have a great day. Bye. Lots of great calls coming through, variety in them as well, which is great. You can uh, jump on and uh, ask your questions of John. Uh, go to Facebook, check out the video that we did earlier. Uh, with some of the stone tools that John brought in as a bit of show and tell this morning. You can find that at uh, Facebook. Just search Vision Christian Radio. 
And add your comments there. Rise and shine with Robbo and friends on Vision. Robbo with John Mackay, the creation guy. And you've been working behind the scenes, John, on um, a documentary that's coming out on climate change. Tell us a bit about that. We have indeed. Uh, young Joseph, the guy we've been training for the past four years, has mm-hmm. even been on Vision, right, based in the UK, got married, ended up spending some time in Iceland, ended up doing a documentary because over there there's... Red- <laughs> so this is on his honeymoon. He's on doing his honeymoon, a documentary. Yes, that's right. His <laughs> wife said to me, I went there for a honeymoon. I discovered he went there to make a documentary for you. <laughs> um, but there's red soil under the ice over there and red soil abounds in Australia produced mm. by hot, wet climate. So he's filmed it all and we're just tidying it up. We went and did some more filming for him the other day. So it's called Land of Fire and Ice. The, the evidence of what the real climate history, particularly since Noah's flood has wow. been. Remember when God said to Noah, you'll have winter, you'll have summer till yes. the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is a fabulous new documentary. It was supposed to be out just before Christmas, but they locked down the whole of the UK. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. So we put, put a spanner now, in the works. Yeah, put it into January now. There's no other choice. It's not our choice. So we're, we're going to be putting it. So keep a watch for creationresearch.net, Land of Fire and Ice. You'll really love Joe. Mm, that's you, you enjoyed him when he was here, didn't you? Yeah, he was great. And I have seen a couple. They've, there's been a few videos on Facebook uh, yeah. I saw in there in front of some big guys that was you know, sprouting <laughs> up behind him. That's right. So yeah. uh, some fascinating stuff that's that right. uh, they've right. seen and we, we'll yeah. be able to see with this doco that's coming good. out. So that's Land of Fire and Ice. Go to creationresearch.net, search for it, or I think it's even on the front page now. Excellent. That's great. Well, yeah, check that out and check out uh, all the Q&A. There's lots of amazing resources on that uh, website, creationresearch.net. Across Australia, this is Rise and Shine with Robbo and Friends on Vision. John Mackay, the creation guy, with me this morning. And we've had uh, so many great questions coming through. Lots of variety in the questions today, which has been good. But uh, James has got the last one for the day. And a bit of a topical question today uh, relating to a vaccine for coronavirus. What's your question, James? Uh, The question for John this morning is uh, about the development of the new vaccines Mm -hmm. uh, for the COVID uh, virus. And in my um, readings readings and gleanings, it's been trying, they've been talking about that this, these new vaccines are being developed in a different way from previous. So they're looking at an RNA mm-hmm. um, code, I believe, and the way that that applies itself, you know, as we're going to be um, immunised. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a variance from, you know, the previous flu vaxes and, mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just interested in your in your take on all of that development. Okay, very briefly, um, because our time is limited, yes, using the RNA technology is new. Uh, We hope with all of our new technologies, they lead to benefit rather than detriment. Caution with all of these new vaccines. Normally, you wouldn't even dream of releasing a vaccine without 10 years of testing and government approvals and all of that. So you can not only prove it does do good, you can prove it doesn't do good. Remember the the thalidomide children? It did what it was supposed to, but it actually did a lot of things that it shouldn't have done. Now, at the moment, as even Elton Musk, you know, pretty much a genius in the space race, says, I'm not going to have one of those immunizations, right? Um, And Mm. he can afford to protect himself from just about anything, and the rest of us can't even protect ourselves from government desire to forcibly inoculate us or anything. Um, So far, we have not managed ever to produce a vaccine against any COVID, whether it's the common cold or whether it's SARS or MERS. We just haven't managed to do it. This is a new way of doing it. It's a rush job. 
And uh, mm. I, I suspect many wise people like Elton Musk are going to say, well, I'll watch what happens to t- 20 million Russians. There was a report online yeah. this morning that said, you know, X million Russians have been injected. So far, there's no bad results. And you think, well, mm. that's not what I really want to know. Yeah, that's right. That's not <laughs> I want so to know comforting. if there's any good results, right? <laughs> and we just yeah. haven't had the time to find that out. So, again, that's it's a not. caution. Again, there's mm. a principle here that we need to be, be careful of. You see, when we invented immunization, great development in, in you know, dealing with cow measles versus smallpox, etc. Um, but yeah. it's based on the principle that the body can produce these antibodies. And since then, we've gone one step further and we're trying to find a smart way to trick the body into doing this, uh, which yeah. theoretically should work. But in reality, we're that's not sure of the long-term right. consequences at the present. That's the yeah, only that's caution right. that I'd, I'd put up medically. Yeah. We've just put yeah. online one of our new, um, oh, our new MP4 version of uh, our, our program called Worms and Germs, The Real History of Disease on the Planet. Uh, so you'll find right. that's got some useful thoughts as well. So go to creationresearch.net, uh, look up the MP4 Worms and Germs, mm. uh, and you might find that helpful in thinking this whole issue through. Excellent. Hey, great uh, question, James. Certainly a very topical one at the moment. So uh, good to hear from you, mate. Good on you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Lots of great questions coming in today. As always, more than we could uh, fit on air, but uh, it's been great to have you respond to those, John, across the course of the morning. Uh, You can always keep on uh, uh, asking questions or even checking out answers to questions on uh, creationresearch.net. Of course, the Q&A side of that site is just uh, really a huge wealth of information. I guess another way people could ask you questions is if they visited Jurassic Ark, they, they could ask indeed. you face-to-face if you were there they on the day. And we have a large group coming this weekend and uh, individuals through the week usually, and it is open again. So we can you know, let you sit on our seats and touch our trees <laughs> and look at the fossils without having to sanitise everything. Yes. So, so that's great. So, uh, yeah, look at uh, creationresearch.net, click on Jurassic Ark or contact the office and mm-hmm. let us know you'd like to bring a family or a group or whatever. Yep. It's open again great. and uh, open to teach you about God's glories Excellent. and the judgment power. I, I guess advance notice is important though with that. Like, do you need to know people are coming or can they just well, turn we, up? The, many of them do just turn up. They sort of ring me and say, I'm on my way pa- down past Gimpy. Can I come in today? <laughs> and you think, oh, well, do we have staff there today? Yes, uh, yeah. okay. So we do get people like that. We do mm-hmm. prefer to know if you've got 10 or 20 people and yeah. you want to come. A little bit of notice does help. Yes, that's for sure. Well, you can see the details of exactly where it is and how to get in touch at creationresearch.net. Uh, we've already mentioned some of these resources, but they're available. The Stone Age book from John Osgood, available mm-hmm. on, your, on your website at uh, creationresearch.net. Uh, but walking through, walking with Jesus through Genesis, and also the, there's a whole series of the, the kids' books as well, uh, available uh, on our website at visionstore.org.au. So check those out. Uh, have a look at the video that we posted earlier this morning as well, uh, with John showing off some of these uh, great uh, uh, Aboriginal tools that uh, that you've discovered, some of the, the stones that have been used uh, for various uh, reasons. Uh, that's available on Facebook. And Janelle actually mentions on there, she says, I love it when you have John on air. I learn so much. So thank you, John, for helping Janelle great. to learn uh, lots again this morning. It's been great having you with us. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, mate, from all and the team here too, at Vision. Bro. I yep. love the, the partnership that Next we have with year, you. we'll have a brand new kids' book out on Christmas. We've just finished writing it, but you'll have to wait okay. until next year. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.